as bards. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this tremendous privilege, this opportunity of gathering together as family in a unity that you've provided, Father, for our enjoyment. Thank you for the fellowship that you've provided each one of us in Christ Jesus, Father. What a tremendous privilege this is. Thank you for the good weather. It's the little things that remind us that you love us, Father. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, of course. We pray for those in the congregation that can't be with us here this morning, uh, and we pray for those that are still lost, that before it's too late, they are regenerated, born again, saved, so that we might have additional brothers and sisters in Christ for all of eternity. What a blessing that would be. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make a morning like this a reality. We do just ask for your blessings on the message. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, the deceitfulness of sin, part 46, this past week was filled with talk about food. Uh, that, at face value, it seems like a strange topic to use as a lever for teaching the Word of God, but if you're honest and you're fair upon close inspection, it's actually a very effective lever. Um, let's begin with the words of our Lord up here on the board. John 4:32 states this, But he, Jesus, said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. <clears throat> he just gave us a certain perspective. Uh, they were concerned that he didn't have enough to eat or he wasn't eating. Um, but he said, basically, my priorities are straight. That's really what he said. My priorities are straight. And I think we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. We'll see what the Spirit has to say. But so much of our lives, we go this way once. Let's face it, come on, we go this way once. My grandmother who just passed away outdid everybody and lived 95 years. That's really long, but in the grand scheme of things, it's still nothing. So we have this life to give. We have this life to lay down for the Lord. So much of it is about prioritization. And I think that's why he used food, honestly. On Thursday, I gave some statistics. Um, I'll just give them to you again. In America, uh, this is from 2015 to 2016, <clears throat> the percentage of adults age 20 and over uh, that are overweight, including obesity, are 71.6%, which is unbelievable. Percent of adolescents age 12 to 19 years with obesity, 20.6%. Percent of children age 6 to 11 with obesity, 18.4%. Percent of children 2 to 5 years old with obesity, 13.9%. I'm not saying that for any other reason than to say that we obviously have a problem in America with food. Um, you can make of it what you'd like, but I'm here to teach the Word of God. And if the Word of God says we ought to be at least healthy to serve the Lord, then that's what we should aim for. It was with this data fresh in our minds that we read our Bibles. Um, but before 
we review too much. Let's remember that our bodies are not our own even. Go to 1 Corinthians 8, 6. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6. I think it's possible that our physical bodies and how we keep them in terms of fitness is uh, often overlooked, even from pulpits. Um, but I don't have a problem with... Um, Holy Scripture offending people or Holy Scripture just sort of laying it on the line and saying, you know what, you do have a body. It's probably a really good idea if you want to serve the Lord to keep it healthy, to not to destroy it, to not to crush it, to not to, uh, you know, um, render it useless. 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for Him. We exist for Him, not for our appetites, not so that we can get up and eat enormous meals. No, for real. That we exist for Him, not for our appetites, whatever that appetite might be. And for Americans, based on statistics, apparently it seems to be many times food. So we are, we are, excuse me, from whom are all things, and we exist for Him. We have to remember that. That's why we're here, even physically. We're instruments, we're intended to be instruments of righteousness. You can't do a whole lot with a broken instrument. We exist for Him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through Him. So that is our starting point regarding our very existence, of which, of course, includes our physical bodies. I mean, we exist. We have a physical body. Uh, the sound you're hearing, do you hear my voice? That's my physical body. Air is resonating through my larynx. That's my physical body doing something. What if I decided, oh, I don't know, to stay out all night last night, smoke a little weed, drink a bunch of whiskey. Now I've got absolutely no voice. What say you of bringing glory to God? No, for real, isn't that not fair? For real, that's all I'm saying. I mean, there's a practical side to living this life, and for some reason, uh, we Americans, especially behind pulpits, we don't talk about this thing. And again, like I said on Thursday, listen, I'm the last person that's going to try to body shame anybody. That's not what this is about at all. Let the world do that ridiculous stuff. That's them being ridiculous. And don't you buy any of that pressure on that front. This is actually, if there's any pressure, if there's any conviction in your soul, it's from the Word of God. It's about motivation. It's about being fit for service. Go to 1 Corinthians 6, 19. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. So there's a starting point. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. So that body, that rear end you're sitting on right now, it's not even yours. 
The eyes you're reading your Bible with, those aren't yours. The ears you're listening to my voice with, they're not yours. Verse 20, For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Pretty simple, right? I mean, if we're going to be honest, if we're going to read Scripture at face value, then we have to look at that and say, okay, okay. I've been given a a body, um, an instrument intended for righteousness. Um, I should take care of it. Whether we are keen on the idea of physical fitness as a part of overall fitness to serve, that's not the issue. Just because we might have hang-ups and, you know, as Americans, we don't like the idea of anyone telling us, hey, you should maybe, and I'm not telling you this, that's between you and the Lord, maybe you should eat less, maybe you should exercise more. Maybe you should do whatever it takes so that you're able to serve in a greater capacity. However, before we run too far, for the sake of comparison and therefore divine perspective, we can't go overboard with this either. You can't go overboard. We have Holy Scripture that puts our thoughts in their proper place while conceding definite realities concerning physical fitness or fitness in general. So I want this, this morning to be about fitness in general. Yes, he's using, like I said, he always does this. He uses a certain lever. He's using food and you know, uh, physical fitness as a lever to, to, to discuss in your own soul fitness overall. Are you fit to serve? So first of all, on this sort of balance statement, Food is necessary to live on. So, it certainly shouldn't be construed as something bad. I mean, we have to eat, right? So that's not bad. We don't want to overcook it and let the pendulum swing to the other side and all of a sudden we become a bunch of ascetics where we're, you know, drinking water and fasting and never eating all the time. That type of thing. That's not what the Bible says either. Either Go to 1 Timothy 4.4. 1 Timothy 4.4, remember the idea is to be fit, fit for service. First Timothy 4, verse 4. 1 Timothy 4.4 4 reads, For everything created by God is good. And you know what then? Healthy food is a grace gift from God. So the ability for you to eat, the fact that you have food to eat, well, consider it a grace gift from God. Okay? So everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. In pointing out these things to the brethren, in other words, Paul instructs Timothy to do what I'm doing right now. He's like, point it out. Point these things out. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Constantly nourished, now truth is our greatest food, remember, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of sound doctrine, which you have been following. And that echoes of Jesus' own words, I have food you don't know about. That's what nourishes us. That's what sustains us ultimately. And we'll get to that in a moment. These things are going to dovetail. Verse 7. 
but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline. Well, that takes something, doesn't it? Even what I've said so far requires discipline. Some of you need discipline at the dinner table. Some of you need more discipline at the gym or on your, on your road walks or your push-up, whatever you do that might, you know, get you in a greater fitness, get you to a greater level of fitness. Whatever that is, you need more discipline in that area, some of you. I don't know who that is. And maybe more discipline to say no with food. Because now, for many people, I, I know this for a fact, but many people, food is their idol. They live their day waiting for their next meal. And it's all about, you know, how good the food's going to taste and where they can go next and, you know, how, how they can spoil themselves. And, you know, and they say, oh, God loves me. He blesses me out with all this amazing food all the time. No, God doesn't want you to be that way. He doesn't want you to become physically unfit. That's not a blessing. That's you turning a blessing into something evil. So on the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose, for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit. Now here's the point. We get into a point of comparison. For bodily discipline. He doesn't say bodily discipline is garbage. He just says compared to. It is little is only of little profit, but godliness. He doesn't say it's of no profit, does he? No. He says it's just little profit. Why? We'll finish the sentence. Godliness, spiritual sustenance, spiritual fitness is profitable for all things. In other words, he almost tucks something like physical fitness under the larger umbrella of godliness. Because it's godly to be fit in every way that allows you, enables you to serve him. So that's really what he's doing. He's tucking it under. He's saying, don't focus on, don't become a moron. And now, you, you know, you've got to be the next, uh, you know, exercise queen or king, you know, so you can prance around like a moron. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that needs to be tucked under. We're going to get to this. It needs to be tucked under. So I'm trying to give you some additional perspective on something like physical fitness. It's not the only aspect of fitness in our walk, but it definitely is one. And I think it's, I think it's um, brushed over many times. Probably from you know, uh, pastors being wimps, not willing to actually stand before a crowd of people, some of whom might have this problem, and go, well, I don't want to offend my congregation. Well, what kind of shepherd says that? You shouldn't even be standing behind a pulpit. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, and again, we're comparatively speaking here, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Up here on the board, here's the perspective. Bodily discipline is of only of little profit. It is conceded that bodily discipline is of profit. It doesn't say there's no profit, it just says it's a little profit, comparatively. However, Compared to spiritual fitness, it pales. And we'll get to this in a moment. This is not a license for physical unfitness. It's actually just the opposite. Some, see, some people that are looking for a way out, you follow? Like they do with any kind of uh, sinfulness, any kind of abuse, 
of their spiritual walk, of their, or their, just their walk in the Spirit, are always looking for ways. See, it's like a little prophet, so we can just throw that out. No. The word prophet is still there. Just compared to spiritual things, it's small. I mean, physical fitness is one small element of overall fitness to serve the Lord. That's all he's saying. So this is not a license for physical unfitness. It's actually just the opposite. Rather, it simply gives us perspective in order of priorities. So in other words, you can't become legalistic and say, well, I'm going to become physically fit so that I can be a spiritual giant. I'm going to, become, I'm going to focus on my physical fitness so that I can be a greater servant for the Lord. That's not how it works either. There has to be something else, and this is the linkage we're getting to. So the way we might best consider a passage like this is to think about the greater context in view. For example, in verse 7, Paul writes, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. In other words, do whatever it takes to meet the demands of your calling in Christ Jesus. Do whatever it takes to meet the demands of your calling in Christ Jesus. Hmm. If that means you need to shape up physically, then go ahead and do just that. Then go ahead. But here's what experience will prove to you. And I alluded to this Thursday evening when I intimated that I have over the years stayed physically fit for you all. In other words, my motivation, I mean, I cannot stand going to the gym. I hate it. It's like, what am I doing? I hate it. And then I say, well, I'm doing this for the Lord. I'm trying to stay strong for my congregation so that I can continue to lay down my life in good health. And so I'm motivated, even at the gym, or if I'm out running around the block, or uh, whatever I'm doing, a lot of times it has nothing to do with me at all. So now we're talking about something different, aren't we? We're talking about a little thing called motivation. So what experience will show you is that motivation is everything. Motivation is everything. Now listen up. This is, this is important. If you're only going to the gym or walking or running around your neighborhood so that you look good, you will find no godly joy in it. If you're only exercising and trying to stay physically fit just so you look good, you're not going to find any joy in that. None. No godly joy. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that's true. Anywhere. It says you need to be fit for service. That's very different. That's very different. And considering the variety of body types in this world, I mean, I, I, this, it's not about me, so don't play. I'm just using an example. It's what came up. One of the last 5Ks I ran before my knee blew out, a woman with a baby pushing a baby carriage beat me. She was like a freak athlete. I'm like, what is going on? I got passed by a lady with a carriage. Well, it wasn't, it was like a, you know what it was? It had a little motor on it. <laughs> I was like, she's getting dragged. She's got, she's a little throttled. 
<laughs> so it's not about that. We're all made different. You know what I'm saying? Some people are, 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 are stocky. Some are like gangly. Some are whatever. It's not about how you look. It's are you fit for service? That's it. So if, you, if you're doing all this work just so you can look good, there's no godly joy in it. Because this is off. Your motivation stinks. Your motivation is nothing but flesh. That's all it is. I want to look good. I got a new pair of jeans, some Jordache jeans. I only say that because you guys always laugh. It's like one of my ones, you know what I'm saying? Pull out the Jordache jeans, right? If I say tough skins, the guy's are like, what are you talking about? I don't know those. Anyways, if you're only doing stuff like that to look good, there's no joy in it. However, however, if you have a divine purpose in view, you know, like the Bible says, like, quote, something like, I can serve my Lord better as a healthy subject rather than an unhealthy one. If you have that kind of purpose in view, then you will surely be properly motivated and pushed through with a joy set before you. That's what the Spirit's saying. It's about motivation. Up here on the board, ask yourselves, why do diet and exercise, or why do diet and exercise fads always fail eventually? The answer, poor motivation. That's why they fail. So you might as well stop. There's no pill, there's no you know, short little thing that you're going to do. And, you know, it might work so you can go on your cruise and look good because you're a fleshly. It might work for a moment, but you know what's going to happen as soon as you're done with the cruise, if it didn't happen on the cruise because you're over eight, is you're going to blimp out again because your motivation stunk from the beginning. And you didn't even do it for God. You didn't do it to serve God. You did it to serve other people, your fleshly wares. So you can look good in the mirror and not feel bad in your bikini or your swim trunks if you're a guy. Who's that about? Is that about the Lord? Nope. Not even close. It's about you. That's why these fads, these exercise and diets, they never, they never last. It's because nowhere in the commercials does it say you can serve the Lord better by becoming more physically fit. Is that ever the sales pitch? Never. They show you some model, and they say, you want to look like this? So that everybody, when you walk down the street, everybody's like, ooh, and cat calls you and all this kind of garbage? Well, that sounds holy. That sounds awfully godly. I'm going to say something's wrong with that. And you know what? So did James. Up here on the board. James 4, verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. But I like being ogled. Is that the right word? Ogled, ogled, ogled. Sean? Sean doesn't know? Is it ogled? Ogled? I don't know. It doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? I like, I like, I like when people look at me. Sounds like it's about you. That doesn't sound like serving the Lord at all. If your pleasure, again, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. If your pleasure is to look at yourself in the mirror 
purchase tight clothing, and then prance around with even one iota of pride, you miss the mark. Even one smidgen, you've missed the mark. And what do we call, by definition, missing the mark? Sin. I knew he knew that. Because about three months ago he said, Hey, you know what? I finally figured out what sin is. It's called missing the mark. And I said, Leo, that's fantastic. No, it's for real. A lot of people don't even know what sin is. They don't think that it's sinful to prance around half nude in your beach body or your gym body. They don't think anything wrong with it because that's what it's all about. It's about them. Draw attention to me. Well, that's sin. Literally. You have missed the mark, and therefore it is sin. God doesn't want any, making, God doesn't want any of you making other people stumble, including yourself. That's called sin. You, you follow? But I would argue most Americans, probably even most Christian Americans, so-called Christian Americans, diet and exercise for that very purpose so they can make each other stumble. That's called sin. And there's no, there's no godliness in it, and therefore there's no joy in it. What's the Spirit trying to do? He's trying to get your, he's trying to get your attention. He's trying to get you properly motivated. Properly motivated. Satan has infected even our healthy viewpoint of physical fitness, making it about us. We'd be just fine if we didn't do that thing. But as soon as we start looking good, quote-unquote, what happens? It's about us. All of a sudden, uh, you know, the clothes get a little tighter. The uh, time spent outside lasts a little longer. The time in the mirror stretches a little longer. All that kind of stuff. Slowly but surely, it becomes about us. So Satan has infected something perfectly good, physical fitness, something that can be used for the, to the glory of God. He's infected that even. He turned it around so people, the first thing they do is look at themselves, and then it's all bets are off. Whatever joy they could have had, knowing that they could serve the, joy, the, the Lord better, they lose in the mirror. Here's the point I'm trying to make, and of course it has everything to do with our eating habits. Up here on the board, physical fitness. Fitness is a way of life with a definite purpose. It is not meant to bolster the flesh with pride. Rather, it is meant to be a component of overall fitness and readiness to serve the Lord. That's what fitness is about. And that's, that's it. That's what the Bible tells us. And if that's what the Bible says, then that's the truth. Fitness is a way of life with a definite purpose. It is not meant to bolster the flesh with pride. Rather, it is meant to be a component of overall fitness and readiness to serve the Lord. And I'm using Proverbs 31.17. And I, just to be fair, I guess... Since I picked on the ladies on Thursday, they didn't like it so much. I want to encourage all you ladies now with some holy scripture. You can hold your thumb there. Go to Proverbs 31, verse 10. Proverbs 31, verse 10. Now, some of you might be convicted along the way, but hey, 
That's between you and the Lord. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to say this. And this, this, is, this is not anything but my own personal experience. The majority of human beings that I come into contact with nowadays, may not have always been like this, nowadays, women outwork the men. Even DJ says it, amen. I'm not saying that's the case in this group of people, but in general, I don't know what to say about men. I'm so disgusted with men. It's, it disgusts me what I see out there in terms of men. It's literally grotesque. So anyways, I was just sharing that as an experience. I'm not surprised by it. Uh, but anyways, Proverbs 31, verse 10. Most of you know this passage as the passage regarding the virtuous woman. And of course, a wife is in view. An excellent wife, who can find? Okay, so let me just stop there. If you're in America, <laughs> the first thing a guy looks at is her looks. Typically. I'm just saying. An excellent wife, well, she's got to be a looker. Without that, I don't even consider anything else. I don't even get past the facade. What the? That's your criteria for an excellent wife, how she looks? But that's America. Anyways, an excellent wife, who can find? For her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Now think of fitness and readiness to serve. Okay? Look at verse 13. She looks for wool and flax. You know what that takes? Walking around looking, being diligent, and works with her hands in delight. Now, we're not talking about, you know, putting it on some electric sewing machine. Back in the day when this stuff was written, it was work, work. These women worked hard. Works with her hands in delight. Wait a minute. So she's working and she has a joy set before her? Yep. Imagine that. Maybe her motivation's right, huh? Maybe her motivation's right. Just saying. Verse 14, she is like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. More exercise, more hard work. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Does that sound like physical unfitness or physical fitness? Sounds like physical fitness because that's a virtuous woman. She's fit for service. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hand to the distaff and her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. She stretches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. In other words, boy, she's like a crown jewel for you, right? Yes, indeed. 
Strong, good, strong women. If we were 100 years, 200 years ago, that's how a, a man would describe a, a good wife. She's a good, strong, virtuous woman. And that's why other men are like, hey, you got a good wife there. I know. I praise you. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Look at this, verse 25. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future for a joy set before her. Set before her implies what? The future. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Does not eat the bread of idleness. Some women need to get off Facebook and social networks because there's danger there. Go do something for your household. Go build a little strength. Go work out if you got to. Go exercise instead of sitting in front of a computer eating Doritos. All right? Being idle and causing problems possibly in other people's families because God knows your boundaries are limited or unlimited. Remember I gave you that statistic about five years ago in England about Facebook? One in seven divorces in England cited Facebook? I'll leave that as another grand statistic for you all to chew on. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also, and he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Here we go. But she's a looker. She looks good, darn it. She's hot. She's beautiful. What does the Bible say? Charm is deceitful. Beauty Vain. Those who seek physical fitness for beauty's sake are in view. Again, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. Again, those who seek physical fitness for beauty's sake in view. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised for her motivation is correct. Don't you see what went on right there? Don't you see what her motivation was? Her motivation was to do exactly what Ephesians 5 said. Submit to her husband, serve, parent her kids, do whatever it takes to serve the Lord. Do you see the motivation? I do. At every turn, she was motivated to do the right thing. Hmm. But charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. So her motivation is correct. Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. See, what the virtuous woman really displays is a woman, but really, men, you can learn from this too. This is a person who is prepared, who's diligent, who's fit and ready for service. And then at the very end, for good measure, right, the writer said, hey, take all that 
charm and beauty stuff and chuck it out. That really should just be, frankly, for the most part, enjoyed between a married couple anyways. She shouldn't be prancing around trying to look good so that other men might stumble. Do you follow? The, the men in the gate, they didn't, they didn't praise the man's wife because she was a hottie. They praised his wife because she was a virtuous woman, a hardworking, hearty, strong woman who was serving the household and therefore serving her husband and therefore, as the chain of command goes, serving the Lord. And that is what it looks like. And that's why you want to be fit so that you can serve the Lord. So, this so-called virtuous woman's, woman is, by all accounts, super fit to serve the Lord, both physically and spiritually. I mean, she couldn't even do all that stuff if she was uh, debilitated because of, you know, idleness, as the Word said. There's no idleness with her. Back in the day, just to put things into perspective, we didn't need a world of workout world. What's it called? W Wow. We didn't, need, we didn't need wow, because people were picking up pails and moving stuff and shoveling and, you know, and, and doing physical labor. With technology, we just basically sit on our duffs or in our cars, and we do a different kind of work, and that's part of the problem. Back then, they stayed physically fit by actually, you know, like, I don't know, milking cows and shoveling poop and, uh, you know, making whatever chopping trees down to build a log cabin? I'm not saying that happened there, but you know what I'm saying. Over the years, this, this idea, we're, we're, we're so hyper-focused on what we know is reality right now. Some of you have only been alive for a few decades, two or three decades or something like that, and all you've ever known is high-tech. And most jobs that everybody's searching after is high-tech. And that's why we got a bunch of obese people because nobody's working. Nobody's keeping themselves physically fit. Just a side note. Back to our instigating passage. You were supposed to be holding your thumb, right? 1 Timothy 4.8. Okay, for bodily dis... Oh, you didn't hold your thumb. Uh, oh, I see how it is. 1 Timothy 4.8. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, comparatively speaking. But godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So far, this is what we've seen up here on the board. Bodily discipline is only of little profit. It is concluded that bodily discipline is of profit, just little comparatively. However, compared to spiritual fitness, it pales. This is not a license for physical unfitness. It's just the opposite. Rather, it simply gives us perspective on order of priorities. In other words, if your motivation is correct, then you're going to be motivated to stay fit in every aspect of your life, including physical fitness. The second point of review up here on the board, ask yourselves why do diet and exercise fads always fail eventually? Answer, poor motivation. James talked about that. James 4.3, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. So you may spend it on your pleasures. That's why. And here was the summary point. On physical fitness, 
Fitness is a way of life with a definite purpose. It is not meant to bolster the flesh with pride. Rather, it is meant to be a component of overall fitness and readiness to serve the Lord. And so what we see, again, is physical fitness is tucked under the premise of overall fitness and readiness to serve the Lord. So our overarching motivation is that physical fitness is just one component of it, but certainly not divorced from it. 1 Timothy 4, 8 again, For bodily discipline is only of little profit, comparatively speaking, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God. You see the motivation? It is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God. A joy set before us, a hope of things to come. And that's why we labor and strive. You see the motivation right there. Who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers? Prescribe and teach these things. This is Paul telling Timothy this. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. What's one example? I, this is going to sound awful, but it'd be a lot harder for me to teach what I just taught in the first 40 minutes of class if I was 700 pounds. I'm just saying. Whenever I go to my doctor, if I see him outside for us and he's smoking a butt, and I'm not picking on anybody who smokes, right? And then he's 900 pounds and he tells me I'm overweight and I need to go on a diet, I'm saying, dude, take your own advice. Beyond that, I'm supposed to be an example to you, correct? Imitate my faith. Either I believe this or I shouldn't be teaching it. I actually believe what I just taught you over the last 40 minutes. And it has, like I said, for the sake of nobody stumbling, has nothing to do with how good you look and it has nothing to do with body shame or any of that garbage that Satan uses to splinter the truth on this subject. It has nothing to do with that. I'm telling you right now, I'm motivated to stay in shape for the right reason. I'm not saying I don't look in the mirror once in a while and go, hey, you know, whatever. You know, but it doesn't last very long nowadays. It's like, hey, oh, put a shirt on. Right? Sorry, family. Right? I'm not saying it doesn't happen because we're all sinners. Well, what I'm saying is ultimately our motivation should be right. Our motivation to be fit should be right. Hmm. Show yourself an example of those who believe with this kind of evidence regarding fitness, including the physical sort, in view. The question on the table is what say you of your own fitness and readiness to serve the Lord? Because that's the question. That's the question. I know for a fact some of you have stumbled. But that's not the issue. The issue is this question. What say you of your own fitness and readiness to serve the Lord? And that's something that only you can pray on. Only you can decide. If you're convicted by what come, came from this pulpit over the last week, on the topic of physical fitness, on the topic of maybe overeating or overindulging or appetite, the wrong appetite, that's between you and the Lord. But that's what the Bible has to say on the subject. 
And you know what? The truth will set you free. Is your walk refined with good works? Galatians 5, and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and there it is, self-control. Do we forget that one sometimes just because it's last? Self-control. I mean, if you have an appetite for anything, some of you have uh, a sinful appetite for things of the sensual nature. Self-control. Some of you, it's food. Self-control. You pick, your, you pick the poison. Whatever, whatever it is that you overindulge in, or that you indulge in, you shouldn't at all indulge in, self-control. So that's the, that's the convicting ministry of the Spirit. Paul never shied away from the obvious truth regarding fitness and readiness for servitude. Up here on the board, 1 Corinthians 9, 27, he wrote, But I discipline my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. I mean, how could he say to Timothy, Hey, do these things. Go out. Teach these things. And like I just said, he also wrote, imitate my faith. How do you do that? It might have been actually in Hebrews, but someone wrote it. Imitate my faith. Imitate that faith. How do you do that if you're disqualified? If your example is terrible, how do you do that? How do you, uh, how do you encourage, for as long as it's called today, how do you encourage one another? Uh, Romans 1.12, I believe it is. Uh, encouraged by each, each by each other's faith. How does that ecosystem work? Especially coming from a teacher. If the teacher is a complete unfit slob at every level. How does that work? It doesn't. That's the whole point. Which is why we have these kinds of passages of Scripture. That's why parents, you should teach your kids what I just taught you in the first 45 minutes. If you've got young kids, teach them these facts. Say, you know what? If you want to serve the Lord, keep a healthy... Now's the time, right? Some of you are like, man, I, was, I, I blew it. <laughs> I didn't come to the Lord until I was like 60, and all I did was drink and smoke and did whatever I did. And I abused my body sexually. I mean, I showed up kind of beat up. Well... I mean, you could save your kids a lot of trouble if you bring them up in the faith. You tell them, hey, you know, there is something called physical fitness that's worth your attention. And it's biblical. Okay? Again, all of that was based on the fact that fitness is an imperative that is clearly stated in the Bible. But, up here on the board, for the sake of proper perspective, we mustn't make physical fitness Anything but a slave to spiritual fitness. Does that make sense? For the right perspective on physical fitness, it must be a slave of spiritual fitness. Which is why I know for a fact, some people hear my voice, either today or on the internet or whatever, are not going to make that decision yet. Because they're not spiritually fit enough yet. They don't get it. They reject it. Their flesh is too strong. They like their food too much. They like their sexual activities too much. They like their whatever their appetite is too much. They're not physically fit yet. We call that immaturity. They're not physically fit, excuse me, spiritually fit enough yet. 
to where this really becomes something they think about. Wait a minute. You mean he wants my body too for the work of service? Duh. Read Romans 12.1. Of course he does. Of course he wants you fit in every way for the work of service. Of course he does. So just for perspective's sake, we mustn't make physical fitness anything but a slave of spiritual fitness. We must be properly motivated, serving the Lord rather than the flesh. That's a lot of food to think about, especially as an American. As such, Jesus typically focused his disciples' attention on the leading form of fitness uh, in the spiritual sense. Go to John 4.32. We'll just elaborate a little bit more on this verse that came out at the beginning of class. One of the things that Jesus Christ was, was a doer. He wasn't a talker. He wasn't a lip service guy. He did. He believed, and so he did. That's going to be some of you. You believe, and so you do. Okay? John 4.32, But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, No one brought him anything to eat, did he? It's so funny. I always get a giggle out of these guys. They were like always one step behind. Like, oh, no one brought him any food. You might be missing the point, guys. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. My food is to do, up here on the board, my food is to do. The ultimate source of all motivation toward fitness is obedience. Oh, Really? Yeah, really. If the Lord says, I need you fit to serve, soldier, give me 20. Then you know what you got to do? Give him 20. If he says, I, want, I need you to go out in the mission field and walk around India for a little while. I can't. I'm too out of shape. Then get into shape. I need you to do this. I need you to, I need you, I need you to be the wife that gets... Her husband gets praised at the gate because she's a virtuous woman. I need to do that thing. I'm too depressed. I'm too in a too much in a funk. I, you know, I'm, I spend too much time on Facebook actually. Behind my husband's back. Matter of fact, I'm doing all kinds of things behind my husband's back. Not a good thing. Well, shape up. Why don't you hit the street instead of going on the internet? Why don't you put your sneakers on and take a walk? How about that? How about do something useful? For real, I'm not being a wise guy, I'm actually, this is the way it goes. There's actually a practicality to all this. Jesus Christ was not a lip service guy. He didn't go on Facebook and, and, and berate people and then, and then tell them how wonderful he was and then never do it. You follow what I'm saying? Like some people do. Everybody's like, oh, oh yeah, I, I love, oh, what a great point. Did Pastor made such a great point. That was so awesome. <laughs> right? Get the, the cheese it, the orange fingertips. You partially wake up, you're like, oh, oh, oh." right? Right? That sound like Jesus to you? No. No, it does not sound like him at all. He said, my food, my sustenance, what energizes me, what gets me up in the morning, is to do the will of him who sent me. Hmm. You know what he was above everything else? He was fit. He was fit. 
how, the, how in the world do you think he survived physically the beatings he took? Do you think he was a mess physically? He'd probably come in here, he'd probably take out all of us in one like fell swoop if he wanted to. He's probably super strong. I shouldn't even use the word probably. He was super strong, even physically. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Now, man, some of you are probably going to take that the wrong way. Don't go to the gym this afternoon. Jesus was strong, so am I. (laughs) People do weird stuff, right? I'm so motivated. Jesus was a doer. You decide in prayer what that means for you in your life. If you already got a job that you're running around, if you're a waitress or something like that, or, or, you know, like Jeremy over here is working with cars all the time, you're probably already fit. You know what I'm getting at? You're probably already fit. But if you don't have that as a life thing, I don't know. Maybe you have to think about it. But here's what I know about Jesus Christ. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In other words, I have a purpose. I have an end goal. I'm a doer. Not this. I'm a doer. James wrote about that, right? Do not be hearers who merely delude themselves, but be doers of the word of God. Be a doer. That's what Jesus, my food is to do up here on the board. The ultimate source of all motivation towards fitness is obedience. We learn one thing from Jesus. It's that he obeyed, that he was obedient to his father's plan. He's the one who said, your will be done. The correlation between obedience and fitness, and re- that should say not reading, but readiness. Readiness to serve is unmistakable. Uh, the correlation, this is biblical, the correlation between obedience and fitness and readiness to serve is unmistakable. Obedient soldiers are the fittest. They are. Obedient soldiers are the fittest. You see the point the Spirit's been making over the past few messages? And this has everything to do with deceitfulness of sin. Because there's a whole Christian population out there that knows nothing about fitness at any level. They know an awful lot about this and being entertained and talking a big game and worshiping and serving their emotions. They know a lot about that. And then they go home and they feed another appetite called food. And nobody's really intent on serving the Lord. They're not obedient soldiers at all. They're embarrassments. So you see, I hope you see the point the Spirit's making over the past few messages. Specifically, he's saying, stop letting the world set your goals for you. Stop letting it guide your motivation. The goal of any form of fitness is not so your flesh can revel in it. Up here on the board, this is the key, the whole message. You ready? It's what it's been leading up to. It's always simple. The goal of any form of fitness is service. That's it. When you serve, you're obedient, right? The goal of any form of fitness is service. That's how we should think of it. Why am I doing this thing? I want to serve. 
Why am I learning the Word of God? I want to serve. Why do I repent? Why do I confess? Why do I uh, pray? Uh, why do I give? Why do I do anything? Because I want to serve. Why do, I, why do I stay physically fit even? Because I want to serve. Because this body's not even mine. These legs, they, they make me walk. They're not mine. They've been purchased with a price. Doesn't the Bible tell us that? It's not ours. I want to serve the Lord. The goal of any form of fitness is service. Service implies serving, servitude, obedience, duty, etc. Now, here's where we come upon one of the great, let's call it a paradox in Christianity proper. It's like a paradox in Christianity proper, but it's really not. It's only a paradox for people that don't understand it. Acts 20.35, remember the words of, our Lord, of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, is more blessed, happy to give than to receive. Yeah. You know, to lay down your life. To put in the extra hours. Think of the Proverbs 31 woman. To put in those extra hours. To serve the Lord. To bring glory to Him. You think it was all... Does it say that poor woman had a, an amazing husband? No. He could have been as big of a jackass as your husband. Tammy's like, yep. That's not the point. The point is, are you willing to serve? That's what this is all about. Are you fit to serve? Do you want to give? Do you realize it's more blessed to give than to receive? Do you want to give your life? Do you want to lay down your life in service of the Lord? That's the question. This is the exact opposite of what we noted last week, right? Philippians 3.19, the Amplified, whose fate is destruction, whose God is their belly, their worldly appetite, their sensuality, their vanity. That's what, you know, most people I know work out for. So they look good. Well, what does the Bible have to say about that? It's wrong. Motivation stinks. It won't last. And whose glory is in their shame. In other words... A person who prances around like a jackass for themselves, that glory is their shame. The fact that they have some kind of a GQ body or something like that, that they like to show off to the rest of the world, that is an indictment. That is their shame. They're so stupid and blind, they don't even realize it, that they're blasting their own shame. For all to see. <laughs> they think they're blasting something special, something admirable. But they're blasting their shame. Does that make sense? It's their shame that's on full display. And it's called their beach body, who they built for themselves to impress others. That is their shame. And that goes to show the dichotomy or the deceitfulness of sin. How great is their darkness when they think they're in the light. That's why we've been studying this for, what, 46 parts now, the deceitfulness of sin? You think it, has, you think it never touches food and physical bodies and such? Are you kidding me? In America, geez, it might even start there. 
with maybe the exception of sexual sins and trying to be alluring. Whose glory is in their shame. I'm thinking of the, the contrast. Think of the contrast right now. Think of the Proverbs 31 woman and then, sadly, a young lady whose parents don't, should have stopped her before she went out of the house, who's bearing everything for the world, who, God forbid, they drop something because the whole world would see their rear end, or maybe worse. I think some of them work at the ice cream shops around here. I don't even go to certain one because of it. It's gross. I wanted ice cream, not a peep show. I'm not going to tip you more. Do you understand what I'm getting at? It's grotesque. There's a whole economy around it. You think those people that, that own those places don't know that that sells? Why don't you ever see the, uh, you know, the ugly girls in there? Why is it all cute little beboppers serving ice cream? What the hell does that got to do with ice cream? For real. What's, what are you selling here? Are you selling ice cream? Or are you selling the virtues of little girls who don't know any better, whose parents suck? and let them go out of the house with see-through pants and miniskirts and blouses down to here. What am, I, am I missing? Am I, am I wrong? Yeah. Whose God is their belly? Their worldly appetite, their sensuality, their vanity, and whose glory is in their shame. Who focus their mind on earthly and temporal things. This means that living for others, you know, to do the will of him who sent us, is our source of sustenance. And I've got to pick a spot to close. I've got DJ coming up. And to live for others is the source of joy inexpressible. And I think, uh, yeah, I'll go a little bit further. Just bear with me. I just want to make sure you get some closure on this. Joy incremental. This is all the way back from Tuesday's message. The more we love and live for others, the more joy we will receive, being delivered from bondage to self in the process. I gave you, I'll give you the, uh, the living version up here on the board of Luke 6.38. For if you give, you will get. Your gift will return to you in full and overflowing measure, pressed down, shaken together, to make room for more and running over. Whatever measure you use, to give, large or small, will be used to measure what is given back to you. To others, in the, in, the, in the proper direction, the biblical direction. If all you do is give to the person in the mirror, you get what you deserve. Solomon would say, enjoy it while it lasts, because it's not going to last. All right, so if we step way back, I'm going to put a wrap on this. This came out on Thursday. In my notes, I have sin equals lies equals Teshuka. I know they're not equal, but I hope you get the correlation. Sin lies to dominate. Lies exist for the sake of domination. Lies are the vehicle, the device that sin uses, or its agents. You follow? I'll end, you, I'll end here, and then I'll pull up DJ here. We are all being lied to daily. All of us. We are being lied to daily. We are all subject to temptation 
to believe. And even, is it fair to say, want to believe said lies? Yeah. Some of them are really convenient for our flesh. So we are all subject to temptation to believe and, frankly, to want to believe said lies. And we all need to prepare ourselves for battle. How? Right here, and I'll end here. DJ, you can come up. Protect your mind. That's how. Protect your mind. Be careful what comes in. I think you just turned the mic on, guys. Be careful of what you let into your mind. All right, what's going on? You guys turn the mic on? Check. One, two. Okay, thank you. Be careful of what you let into your mind. I just gave you pearls. Pearls. I know some of it stings. I get it. Some of you probably have to go get different wardrobe. Some of you need to stop living for yourself. Stop living for the person in the mirror. Some of you need to stop eating so much. Some of you need to exercise more. Some of you just need to pursue a, a whole new mindset on fitness itself. You just need to, you just need to be a whole game elevated because slothfulness and entitlement and all these awful things that America just spews at, at its citizens, those need to be rooted out of you. Those need to be rooted out. That idea of, oh, someone else will do it. Well, someone else is always someone, right? I mean, that's, that's no way to look. Someone else will always do it. Some of you need to get off the nipple. You know what I mean by that? You're 30, 40 years old. Leave your parents alone. Maybe it's time to turn around and you take care of them for a little while. Let it go. Stop acting like children. You're grown up. You want to you be married and have kids and, and, and be considered a grown up? Then you know what? Act like a grown up then. Then act like a grown up. Do grown up stuff. Take care of your families. Serve the Lord. You see, this is what I have to teach to help you with the point on the board. Because the world tells you all the opposites of what I just told you. Literally the exact opposite of what I just told you. So do yourself a favor. Protect your mind. Amen? All right, DJ, we're going to come up. I don't have that slide up, so we can just kill the slides, guys. And uh, I'll, I'll hook uh, DJ up with the mic.
Good morning. Test one, two. Thank you, Pastor Collins, for the opportunity to lead the congregation today in the communion service. It is always an honor and a privilege. I have a question for the congregation this morning, and it's a rhetorical one. It's what do you say of the gospel? We know what Paul said in Romans 1, 16 through 17, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein is revealed the righteousness of God from faith unto faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. In communion, we express the value of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the way we do this is by remembering, by proclaiming, and by being nourished by the communion service. First of all, in remembering, the communion service expressed, expresses the value of Christ by reminding us of him. We must remember his death because it is the most important death in history. We must remember Christ, and therefore we probably should tremble at the prospect of forgetting him. <clears throat> Proclaiming. The communion service expresses the value of Christ by proclaiming his death. This is a normal measure of worship. The value of Christ packs itself on our memory. And then that inner remembering breaks out in a proclamation of his death and all it achieved for you and me. And it's so valuable that it must not only be remembered, that it also has to be proclaimed. Finally, we get nourished through the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper expresses the value of Christ by expressing that Christ nourished our life by imparting faith. And then the communion service will be a deep and wonderful act of praise. Nothing shows the worth of Christ as much as when we come to him to feed our hungry souls as we did this morning. This supper is not about physical nourishment though. It is about the spiritual nourishment of our souls. The communion service is to be done often because it's exp it expresses the infinite worth of Jesus Christ. No one is more worthy to be remembered. No one is more worthy to be proclaimed. And no one can nourish our souls with eternal life but Christ. So let us come, let us remember, and let us proclaim and partake in the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, Paul states, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In remembrance of our Lord, let us eat the bread. <clears throat> and in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. In remembrance of our Lord, let us drink the cup. For as often, in remembrance of our Lord, let us drink the cup. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, what a privilege to be able to come before your throne and celebrate the Lord's Supper in remembrance of your Son and his sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for giving us your Son's life on behalf of us on the cross and, pay, and paying the enormous price for our sins so that we may be forgiven of all and share in your son's abundant life, both now in time and also for the life to come. May we never forget the enormous price that was paid on our behalf. May we never forget that we have been bought with a price, and that price was the blood of your son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May we live for him and others, knowing that his body was broken and his blood was shed for us. Lord, let us remember as we leave here today to bring the truth of the gospel with us out to the darkness, to places that only you can shed light on and give the light that you have supplied in truth and let the Holy Spirit accomplish the work that needs to be done and hopefully accomplish bringing sons into the household of the faith. Thank you, Father, as always, for your grace, your love, and your mercy. We pray all of this in your Son's precious name, and through the power of your Spirit, we do pray. Amen. You are dismissed.